Welcome back to Midweek Bible Study. You know, some portions of Scripture are just packed with great theology. Like you think about that passage on Christ that we studied two weeks ago in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Other portions of Scripture are packed with practical application. I think about Romans chapter 12, which contains around 40 different imperatives to guide our lives. And then there are portions of Scripture that seem to address a more personal situation with no obvious theology or practical application, like 2 Timothy 4.13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Right? No doubt this was important direction from Paul to Timothy, but what does it say to us today? Well, our passage this week is a bit like that, right? It's dealing with a particular situation about which we don't have all the details. There seems to be a clear transition from direct teaching in the first half of chapter 2 to kind of more indirect example and travel plans in the last half of chapter 2. But I think when we dig deeper into even this portion of God's Word, we're going to discover both meaningful theology and practical application. Listen in to what Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you just as soon as I see how things will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We're going to explore this passage under three headings found in the notes outline. If you're using it, they are Number one, Timothy's exemplary ministry and his likely future visit. Number two, Epaphroditus' exemplary ministry and his immediate visit. And number three, Paul's exemplary ministry with applications to our lives. So we start with Timothy's exemplary ministry and likely future visit in verses 19 to 24. Paul hopes in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to the Philippians soon. Now, you remember Timothy was part of that group uh, that when the church at Philippi was founded back in Acts 16. And now that Paul was imprisoned as an apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ, Timothy's right there with him. In fact, he mentions him in the first verse of this letter. 
Timothy was special. He, he was in a class by himself, right? Uh, Paul had no one who was just exactly like Timothy, who would be genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. There was, there was just nothing forced or artificial about the guy, right? He had a true, genuine concern for others. Other people, Paul says, seek their own interests, right? Perhaps he's referring to those in Rome who, you remember, were preaching Christ out of rivalry and selfish ambition back in chapter 1. Or those in Philippi, perhaps, who did not yet display the humility and unity to which Christ called them. But either way, Timothy wasn't like them, Paul says. He was unique in seeking the interests of Jesus Christ rather than his own interests. Timothy does that through his genuine concern for other people. And the Philippians knew Timothy's track record, his proven worth, how he was battle-tested over the years. Just like a son with a father, Timothy had faithfully served, or you could even say slaved with Paul in gospel ministry. They were of like mind, like soul. In fact, you could say kind of like Father Paul, like son Timothy. So having Timothy with him there in Philippi would be virtually like having Paul there with him. Now, you remember at this time, Paul's still a bit uncertain about his judicial fate, but just as soon as Paul saw how it was going to go with his imprisonment and trial, he hoped to send Timothy to the Philippians. Why? To update them on his situation. And then you see Timothy could come back from Philippi and cheer or refresh Paul by news of the church, maybe anticipating a positive report on their growing humility and unity. And Paul also trusted in the Lord that in the not-too-distant future, Paul himself would also have a chance to come back to Philippi in person. You remember from chapter 1 that Paul expected his judicial case to go in his favor? But in the meantime, he says, listen, I'm going to send someone else to you, Epaphroditus. And that brings us to our second section on Epaphroditus's exemplary ministry and his immediate visit. Now, you see how Paul describes Epaphroditus with five choice phrases. He is, number one, Paul's brother. Right? He's a fellow believer. He's, he's a fellow member of God's family. Secondly, he's Paul's fellow worker. He's the one who's labored with Paul in the gospel. Thirdly, he's Paul's fellow soldier. He's marked by loyalty and endurance. You might even think of him as almost like a wounded comrade who, who had nearly died in spiritual battle and now had recovered and was returning to them. Fourthly, he was the Philippians' messenger. He was one sent by the congregation to bring help to Paul. And now, actually, to bring Paul's letter back of thanks, really, back to the Philippians. And fifthly and finally, he was the Philippians' minister to Paul's needs. Gordon Fee helped me when he noted that in a culture where prisoners were not cared for by the state, but whose necessities for life, especially food, had to be supplied by friends or relatives, that this is no small thing that they have done by sending Epaphroditus with the gift to sustain Paul's life while he's imprisoned. So there's just so much to appreciate about Epaphroditus and Paul explains that he thought it necessary to send him to them now for several reasons. 
Uh, it would result, as I think about it, in something like a win-win-win-win situation. Right? Number one, Epaphroditus had been longing for all the Philippians. I mean, he missed them. So it's going to be a win for Epaphroditus to return and be reunited with these people he's missing and longing for. Secondly, Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippians had heard that he was ill. Now, we don't know for sure, but a very likely scenario would be that Epaphroditus had fallen ill during that month-long journey from Philippi to Rome. And he knew that news of his illness had gotten back to them. Maybe part of his entourage had gone back and told them, but they did not yet know the news of his healing. So Epaphroditus was distressed. In fact, it's the same Greek word used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was distressed the night before his crucifixion. He was distressed that they were worried about him. And so it would be a win for Epaphroditus, right, to be able to return and show them in person that he's all the better. And then he wouldn't have to worry about them worrying about him. And as an aside, in this letter, for which Epaphroditus is probably the courier, Paul explains that Epaphroditus' illness had been so serious as to bring him right to death's door. In fact, he says it three times. And it wasn't as common in the ancient world as it is now with our medicines and hospitals and so much to recover from death's door. But God, but God had had a double mercy, right, in healing Epaphroditus and in sparing Paul from having further sorrow piled upon the sorrow that Paul already had. And we don't know exactly what Paul's referring to with this sorrow here at this time, but we know that Paul is grateful for God mercifully sparing him additional sorrow of losing a, a dear brother and a fellow worker and fellow soldier in the Lord. And we can be grateful. We can be grateful to God every single time he heals us or heals one of our loved ones, as he did with Epaphroditus. Number three, Paul was the more eager to send Epaphroditus immediately so that the Philippians could rejoice at seeing him again alive and well, right? It would be a win for the Philippians to see their brother and their minister all recovered. And fourth and finally, Paul himself would be less anxious as he anticipated the Philippians' relief, their joy at seeing Epaphroditus again. In a sense, their joy would be Paul's joy and it would reduce Paul's own anxieties, he said. It would be a win for Paul too. Therefore, there's many of those therefores in this passage, though it might surprise the Philippians to see Epaphroditus again back in Philippi so soon, right? Since they probably expected him to stay longer in Rome to continue to minister to Paul because he's still in prison. Despite that, Paul tells the Philippians, receive him or welcome him in the Lord with all joy. And not only that, but people like Epaphroditus should be honored for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Almost harking back in a way to how Christ died for his people in chapter 2, verse 8. Again, it seems that uh, Epaphroditus fell deathly ill at some point along the way, but he continued in his mission to bring the Philippians' gift to Paul in Rome, thereby risking his life. I mean, he went all in with this thing to complete the Philippians' mission of serving Paul. 
I like what Gordon Fee says, by completing his mission in the midst of severe illness, Epaphroditus put his own life in jeopardy. He pressed on to fulfill his commitment to the church, Philippi, who he was representing, and to Paul, to whom he brought the gift, thus exposing himself to the very real possibility of death. Clearly, Timothy and Epaphroditus are the two main examples in this passage. But if we read between the lines a little bit, I think we can see how Paul is an exemplar as well. And that brings us to our third and final section, Paul's exemplary ministry. Think about it. Paul gave the church at Philippi the very best that he had by sending Epaphroditus back to them so soon, rather than asking Epaphroditus to stay and minister to Paul in prison. And Paul planned to send Timothy to them in the near future. I mean, Timothy, his very son in the faith, had no one else like him. He's going to send him along. Paul's going to put the needs of the Philippians above his own needs right there in prison. Paul could have insisted that these treasure brothers stay with him, but instead he sent them to the Philippians. Paul put the interests of others ahead of his own interests. Real-life examples are powerful, aren't they? Show me a life, right? The real deal, a lot of people will say. That's what I want to see. Well, that's what's great about the Bible. It is not a bunch of fables, right? It is about God working in the lives of real people in the real world. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus Christ as our supreme example, sacrificially becoming a human, even a servant, even dying, a death on a cross. And last week, we were reminded of a kind of an anti-example of Israel grumbling in the wilderness, right? And we're supposed to not be like that. We're supposed to do everything without grumbling or complaining. But this week, we see Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Paul as three exemplary servants. And before we get into some applications, I thought it might be helpful to kind of review the passage chronologically, just one last time to cement it in our minds. Paul thinks it's necessary to send Epaphroditus to the Philippians right now, in fact, with the letter to the Philippians. And it's a win for Epaphroditus, right, because he's been longing for them and he's worried that they're worried about his reported illness. And it's a win for the Philippians because they can rejoice at seeing their brother again, all well. And it's a win for Paul because his anxieties are eased by taking care of the situation right away. And as soon as he knows more about his judicial outcome, Paul will send Timothy, who will bring them news about Paul. He's going to look out for their welfare while he's there with them. And then he's going to bring cheer back to Paul. And Paul trusts in the Lord that eventually he himself is also going to come to Philippi. Okay, got it. But what do these travel plans of first century Mediterranean Christians have to do with 21st century Ohioan Christians? I mean, how is this God's word for us? What does this passage have to say to us? Well, quite a lot, actually. Consider, number one, from Timothy, we learn to seek Jesus' interests above our own by showing genuine concern for others' welfare. Instead of looking out for number one, numero uno, we realize number one is Jesus. 
And number two is others, and number three is yourself. You've probably heard the acronym JOY, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. All right. I am third. Secondly, from Epaphroditus, we learn to faithfully persevere in our assigned tasks, even in the face of suffering and even possible death. Right? We too may be called to suffer or to even risk our lives to complete the work that Christ has called us to and to serve his people. Thirdly, from Paul, we learn to do everything in the Lord. Did you pick up that phrase three times in this passage? Paul hopes in the Lord to send Timothy soon, and he trusts in the Lord that shortly he himself will come also. But he submits his plans to the Lord, right? After all, think back to Acts 16, it tells us that Paul he originally came to Philippi in spite of his own plans to go to Bithynia and to Asia. Right? All of Paul's plans and all of ours also should be made under the lordship of Jesus, the one whose name is above every name. Fourthly, don't just follow the good example of others. Yes, we want to do that. Be like a Paul, a Paphroditus, a Timothy. But also, beyond that, in God's power, be a good example to others. You've probably heard William Tom's statement, Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. It's true. And it applies to every single one of God's people. As a contemporary song says, you don't have to preach a sermon like the preacher does on Sunday to show them how a Christian lives on Monday. You don't have to preach a sermon like the preacher does on Sunday to show them how a Christian lives on Monday. People are watching our lives every single day. So for Jesus' sake, let's shine our lights brightly in the world. Lastly, before our closing prayer, I want to remind you that thankfully we have not needed a single snow day. Our Tuesdays and Wednesdays have been pretty clear, and so sticking with our original schedule in your study materials, next week is a break week from our study. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't choose to get together if you want to for fun uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday. Wednesday actually is St. Patrick's Day. You could have some fun with a party there. But your small group leaders and you can sort that out and figure out if, if you want to gather. Uh, enjoy the break from the study. We'll look forward to gathering again in two weeks. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have breathed out all scripture, that it's all inspired by you, that it's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We thank you for the account of these travel plans and the examples of Paul and his companions in ministry. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to put you first and others second and ourselves third. Infuse us with a genuine concern for the gospel and others' welfare, we ask. Help us also to faithfully persevere in the tasks that you've called us to, to complete the work of Christ to serve his people. Forgive us, we pray, for times we have simply made plans on our own 
without submitting our plans to Jesus' leadership. It's true what James says, that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. Only if you will, will we even continue to live, let alone do this or that. We ask that you would strengthen us to follow the good examples of others and in your power to also be good examples to others. All to the glory of Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen.